everybody. Welcome to the Brain Trust Podcast. My name is Adam Vassen. I'm a s- tabletop game designer in Southern California. I'm a Southern California tabletop game designer. <laughs> I'm, totally I'm Toronto, Ontario, Canada from Tabletop Game Designer. Hey. Adam, what's up, saw, dude? I have moved. I am in a different chair this week. I'm going to feel like a, maybe a different energy from... Um, sitting in comfort, maybe for once. I, From sitting, wait, sorry, you are now sitting in comfort, or you're yes. now exiting. Okay, great. I'm glad you're comfortable. I last week bought every kind of pillow I could find. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I spent most of the week in extreme pain and couldn't function, Jeez, so I I'm bought so this weird, like, it's like two U's. It, it's it's probably like um how to describe the shape of the universe two U's where the the <laughs> apex are touching um like an hourglass you've made, a, you've made a meta ball with the two U's so that one goes between my knees when I sleep uh I've got another U coincidentally but it's it is a U that goes in a different dimension it's this horizontal uh that goes under my butt on my chair and the abscess of the U is where my tailbone goes nice and then I also got um, it's like a U that's filled in, uh, lumbar support <laughs> that straps to the back of the chair. So now I have, in the in the places where I am not standing, my my desk chair and my bed, I have now new U's all over. It's uh, lousy with U's. How how is it treating you? The U treatment, uh, the UV therapy. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay so far. It's probably not related to the whatever was causing me pain. Like, it's just been a week. So, yeah. was it the pillows that did it, or was it just recovering for a week and then it's? Was it just time? Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm excited for when I move into a new office to get a you know like a cool gamer chair, but you know not. Not neon green for the back support, and it kind of just makes you realize how many different surfaces there are for you to be on in one place, and how how many colors an RGB light can make those things. <laughs> I thought I just bought I, a black chair, but it turns out it's literally every color. Yeah, the chair is one big flashing light, and it's gamering, and it's great. Uh, saw Psycho Goreman last night, my film of the year, 2021. Whoa, okay. Where, how'd you see it? It was at a drive-in, uh, which is in LA, a parking lot. I mean, all drive-ins are parking lots, but you can really tell the difference between a drive-in that has been a drive-in and a parking lot where someone says, we should show a movie here because we can't go to movie theaters. This would be great for a movie. Um, this was the ladder. It fit maybe like 15, 20 cars, um, but which they made up for in the ticket price. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the movie was movie was freaking great. For those of you who are have not heard of it, Psycho Goreman is um, an extremely '90s pastiche about these two kids who find this alien uh in the backyard and so it's it's a la like et or something like 
this thing that we found is going to be our best friend. Um, mm-hmm. Except that it is an extremely violent, like, ultra-dimensional warlord who they <laughs> who they named Psycho Goreman. Actually, so this will this can be a segue. When I I loved it. It was really fun. It has extreme '90s kid energy and also extreme like trauma, practical yeah. effects, horror stuff. Um, really, really, really fun movie. But I was like, wow, this is simultaneously Necronautilus and Babes in the Wood at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> the crossover I never could expect because anytime Psycho Goreman talks about uh, the place that he comes from, the other planets and stuff, it so feels like Necronautilus of just like saying some banana word com- combination that, that just sounds awesome as fuck and not explaining it and never coming back to it. I'm from Doom Brain Planet of Skin. Uh, and just like I found this gem that the eternal warlocks crafted from the darkest corners of the galaxy and you're like cool (laughs) fuck yeah cool i get it i'm on board and then you also have what are like a nine and twelve year old kid who find psycho goreman and they're like we want to start a band where you play drums and you're just like (laughs) yeah this is actually the best combination of things possible Wow, I gotta see that. Um, instead of watching Psycho Goreman this weekend, I watch every Mad Max movie. We were both on our bullshit, it seems. Yeah, we were really going at it with both hands. <laughs> uh, which is your favorite Mad Max, then? Uh, it's Road Warrior. It's gotta be Road Warrior. Um, I used to think Fury Road was my fave, and then uh, this is the first time I watched it not in a theater. I'd seen it in a theater like three times. Um, and seeing it like on a normal screen, it is not as good. Um, yeah, that I, I've only ever seen Fury Road and only seen it at home. So I have an extremely isolated uh, viewing experience in that way. And it was yeah. fun. Yeah, Road Warrior is really cool because it's still silly, but it's still, you know, hardcore and post-apocalyptic. But there's just a bunch of like leather daddies out there with assless chaps and there's a guy named humongous and like it's it's good it's really good stuff um so we saw movies well that's been a uh week so it's yeah it's been a week for the brain trust i've been williams um yeah uh you're how's babes going it's chilling uh there was a nice little spike this week from gail simone Oh yeah, uh, Gail Simone, who is a, a <laughs> co- comics author. Illustrator. Yeah, who this who this week author who this week was just like, uh, tell me about all the companies that make role playing games, specifically indie, or I think she was like indie tabletop stuff. Yeah, and I was like, well, okay, I'll tell you. Sure, but Why here's not? the thing: I I saw a couple. I got in early. I saw the replies, and I was like, if I post a pr- picture of Necronautilus. This is my sales pitch for Necronautilus. Look at it. <laughs> I know that whenever anyone sees it, it is immediately, I either need to know more about it or I need to own it without needing to know anything more about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I was just like, hey, I make tabletop games. Most recently, I made a stoner metal science fantasy game here, and then I sent the picture uh, and uh, got the quote retweet. And then she went and 
retweeted my pinned tweet, which is the Babes Kickstarter. Hey. Apropos of just how good Necronautilus looks. Necronautilus looks so good that you will buy a project I didn't illustrate. (laughs) (laughs) Gail gets it. But that was actually really helpful. I saw a couple hundred dollars worth of pledges within the next couple hours, and I can only... Wow. It's been... You know, I'm in the slow time. I'm in the plateau time of Kickstarter, so... Um, the hyperbolic time chamber it it seems pretty clear that that was the direct cause and effect of a little spike day i uh i i don't want to talk a ton of shit but i was listening to the metatopia panel uh, like the two games people at kickstarter talking about like kickstarter in a year of covid and what kickstarter looked like and it just goes to show how kind of absolutely detached kickstarter employees themselves or like what management themselves are to the people making games on kickstarter without having listened let me make it's it's kind of just one prediction with two with two legs sure yeah they said we made something as if they were contributing to something that someone else (laughs) completely made we made and that thing that they're that they brag about is frosthaven yeah both correct <laughs> got into one out of ass everybody um one thing they talked about in particular which is funny that you bring this up is that one um like stop relying on quote-unquote famous people to market your game for you that won't um make you successful like that itself false. and it false very wrong uh ever heard of something called shut up and sit down the a YouTube show that literally changes people's lives <laughs> on being featured on it. I or mean, a e- little guy I like to call Crom, the voice of Matthew Mercer. <laughs> Even like having less famous, famous people sharing babes. I like Gail Simone is famous in an industry in comics, which is tangential to what we do, but that helped me directly. Yeah. And ha- having, uh, Pat McHale, who's the creator of Over the Garden Wall, share my Over the Garden Wall worship ba- page, led to me getting new <laughs> followers and, and new backers. And like, that's a direct correlation. A, a direct material benefit to yourself. Yeah. Why would they think that's not good? Like, because those people don't come back? That's not true, because then they get a product that rips ass and then they're like, yeah, I like this forever. <laughs> it whips shit. Absolutely. Um, that was one. There was another one that was like, uh, funding in the first 48 hours is not a marker of a successful campaign. Like you don't need that to have the best possible campaign or something. And it's just like, that's yeah, kind of say that's false too. True either. I mean, it's like, not like, it's not, in, it's not exclusively untrue, but Funding in 48 hours seemingly does benefit the whole rest of the time. Maybe it's a mental thing, too, because maybe you're just like, well, I did it, and now I don't have to stress for the next three weeks. Yeah. But that's still valuable. Like, they're just coming at it from complete uh, uh, ignorance of what it's like to run a campaign. Right. I think that's really it. Like, it's totally out of um, just not knowing the stress of a campaign, how much that money can help you. That was another thing that these Kickstarter games people were talking about that like someone was like, we work in a capitalist hellscape and apparently we need money to do everything, but we really like your project. If it's something that you really believe in and want to get into the world. And it's like, 
it's both okay <laughs> i'm not I mean, yeah. i'm not on kickstarter because it's going great for me right now <laughs> like i wouldn't really need this if i could afford a print run yeah and you can look at kickstarter games like kickstarter projects sorted by games that are projects we love and almost all of them are are breaking five figures they, they don't do weird huh like really weird and a lot of those are added after the fact after they fund like you look at the, the most recent Morkborg uh campaign which would have funded anyway it was great obviously like it was in no danger but it's cleared a hundred thousand dollars and then like after two days after they funded in seven minutes and kept going then they got a project we love sticker and it's like yeah now you love it like i love it first didn't, didn't reach out to kickstarter and was like hey can you help us like answer some questions about how to make ten fucking thousand dollars and it's like no actually bank of america has created a mark borg spending limit for all users i used <laughs> mark just... borg art on my debit card yeah like every transaction uh auto pre-orders a new mark borg supplement and this is not to shit on Morkborg. This is still shitting on Kickstarter for the record. Yeah. No, no. We're just talking about like Morkborg rules. And it's just great that Mark Morkborg successes all of our success because it is a tiny indie outfit of two people. Um, doing something just, completely different and loving it. Yeah. And people responding to that. Living, loving, and responding. <laughs> my, my time online. Uh, yeah, not a good podcast. I did talk about this online, but during the panel I was listening to, there was someone who was not speaking and not moderating, but was breathing and typing and clicking on mic. Very loud, very high quality mic. And sometimes when a Kickstarter person would say a joke that kind of demeaned everyone around them and treated everybody like idiots, he would rat laugh and <laughs> really just squeak, squeak it up. Um, one of the worst audio experiences really just agitated me for the rest of the day. Um, I think I might have told you this story before. Probably not on the show, but um, some friends of mine... Let's, let's have you officially tell me this story. Some, uh, some friends of mine who are in a band made a record, and allegedly there is a track on the record that is... Um, the duration of the record, so from zero zero oh zero God. to whatever half half an hour, um, there's a track of someone giving the, both middle fingers as hard as they can for the whole record <laughs> at a microphone, and <laughs> allegedly is in the mix. And they're like, "You don't hear anything, but you feel it." <laughs> that's so fucking good. Uh, and that's what I think of just having. <laughs> An extra mic where someone's just putting their aura into the feed. <laughs> how do we do that in publishing? I'm trying to think. Like, how do we have the equivalent of a like masking layer on our PDFs that is just us like flexing on it? Like subliminal messages yeah. in publishing. Um in board games sometimes they'll do uh like underneath the paper of the box or something like if you tore the corner of the box lining open you would see a little guy under there like i know imperial <laughs> settlers has a little easter egg underneath the lining like that and it's just like a person and i think there's a speech bubble that says hey you found me or something like that like not kind of wasted potential <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, damn, you really did do this. Uh, yeah, it's like in Phantom Thread how the dressmaker puts um, stuff into the the seams of dresses, like sentences and things. It seems really easy in audio with because um, you have like you can reverse stuff, you can have stuff in the like you. There's mixing, so you have different tracks that are given different uh, qualities to play with your attention. But there's not necessarily that in uh, in print and and text it seems like the the main thing in print is just making the first letter of each line in a paragraph say like yeah um, (laughs) say like friggin heck hell fuck it so that makes me think of so cobwebs uh, my conspiracy horror tabletop that's filled with that kind of stuff there is a like secret message in it that to my knowledge no one has cracked um and I think the fact that there is a secret is fairly obvious. In the rule book, you'll just see like random numbers and shit that are not part right. of the rules just like in there. Um some of them are obfuscated and some of them are, are less so. But nobody has then figured out what to do with those and then that there there's also a space in the packaging that will like help you codify that. Um and then I'm also thinking of in the Stellar Remnants zine, uh, Adira Slattery's contribution, which was some magic rituals to perform to sort of like tempt hell powers. Um, the last one is is very censored, but in the InDesign layout file, all the text is actually there as a text underneath these white um, boxes. So in print, oh, cool. you just see the, the boxes, but I think there probably is a way to like tear that file apart as a PDF and like actually reveal the things that are underneath it. (laughs) Yeah. Like when the U S government was releasing a bunch of like fakey, fake redacted documents that um, people could clearly tell like who contractors were because it was using like Adobe sign. (laughs) I like that. Or the second lot of speed record, we had um, a dedication that was meant to be, fake so it was like it's to helen for everything and then scratched out with black ink but the way it was printed you know in cmyk where you have like 100 percent black ink and then you also have rich black which is all of the colors all turned up there there had to have been some issue there where you can kind of see the text even though it's supposed to has black ink on top mm. <laughs> uh, i mean stuff like that if you do it on purpose is really cool yeah and something that you find out through just living living the print life. That makes me think too of how long it took for someone to realize there's glow in the dark ink on the Morkborg spine. Because right, it's like, clear and like you don't there's nothing underneath it to emphasize it, so you just have to wait until dark time to see it. And the ink like has to charge in the sunlight or something like that. Right, it has to ha- have access to regular light during the day and then also have you witness it it's Chekhov's uh, ink (laughs) (laughs) or not Chekhov fuck Schrodinger's ink where Chekhov's ink is when he spills a bunch of ink in the beginning he's like shit that was my glow in the dark ink and and then yeah in the third act someone glows in the dark (laughs) yeah Chekhov lighter's hands still covered in fucking ink because it doesn't (laughs) go off damn it my hands um I am now thinking of like references in game text and like how often are you using like 
references to either other things or other games or uh, stuff like that in your drafting process or whatever. I, I ask in the drafting process because I usually, if I'm just pressed for a name, I'll just reference something else and then come back and change it. But sometimes I don't. Um, I do that with rules where I, I showed yeah. you a draft this week of something I'm working on. And I was just like, oh, this is the use this rule from Offworlders here. <laughs> or like yeah. reskin this move from Apocalypse World here. That was a big one for uh for Babes in the Wood of just like, here's a move I like from another book. I'm not gonna write my move right now, but I just like come back to this, put a pin in it. Um so I do that a lot. Thankfully, I've never gone to print with one of the remnants still there. <laughs> Imagine if I was just like, oh yeah, um, use the move that's on page 180 of Apocalypse World 2nd Edition. Honestly, um, you could do a whole game text like that. It's like, use the AC rules from Glog and put in the magic from Whitehack and the vehicle rules from GURPS vehicles. I like the idea of doing that with my own games as like, here's this meta game that you have to have all of my world champ games to understand. Oh my God. Uh, that's good. That's good. That's good marketing. That's some dumb shit where I would print it on a postcard at, at cons and be like, here, Oh, comic books do this too. Of like, if you want the whole story arc, here's eight, here's a checklist of eight things you need to read. Uh, I just <laughs> right. give you a checklist and be like, I made a game, but you have to get all these games to play it. Right. It's important to show that you can be a completionist with your catalog. Like, it doesn't have to be all the same game. Yeah, I like that. Like, what what kind of frame game would you use to have your, like, ultimate Vicenian reference text? I, I think this theory works best with just, like, a trad, here's a group of people going on an adventure. Because, especially... I'm not thinking of like a planescapey, like you're moving from world to world and each world is one of my games. I'm thinking of a, a complete kitpash standalone game that just uses mechanical aspects from all these other things. Beautiful. Um, which I think, yeah, it would be fun, especially when you compartmentalize it and say like, so maybe you don't take, there, there's, there's gotta be some sort of core resolution, right? But, um, I think you take that from something obscure. Like, uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to put some pieces together in my head right now. But my because Necronautilus is my most recent big success. It's like you should use that. But that's I, I'd have to book that right away and say the only thing I'm using from Necronautilus is something like inane, <laughs> like uh, the assistance mechanic or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then as core resolutions, you have, like, one PBTA move from Babes. You have one, like, you have a... It just occurred to me, too, that some of my games don't use dice, or they use cards and shit, and you have this actual mess of just, like... Yeah, this, like, translation When you want to do this, you play Go Fish, and when you want to do that, you roll 2d12 and make a pool, and, like... uh, But that's kind of fun chaos energy to play. Do video games do this? This makes me think of a Smash like a Smash story mode. Right, because like Smash pulls in all the different moves translated into the Smash engine. You can just photocopy the rules you want. Like uh, in Nathan DiPoletta's RPG design scene, it is just a bunch of photocopied rules from games that Nathan wanted to highlight. You could just do that with your own stuff and build just a, a horrific um, fucking... <laughs> 
patchwork i don't want to say but go back patchwork world six edition when it comes out on uh on the kickstarter aaron king go see it um i'm thinking of like in smash Quilt. that's what i wanted story mode where it's be where it'll be like oh we need you to collect um like anti and suicune and the electric one the the legendary pokemon but those Pikachu. aren't in the game, so you fight, you know, a blue uh, Incineroar, and then there's, like, Star Fox, because they're, like, we have our roster, and we're doing approximations. We're figuring it out. And some of that is, like, using different skins, or, um, like, when when you fight, uh, who's the bad guy in Zelda? Ganondorf, as, Mr. like, a Hand. big dragon they just instead make you fight a Charizard that is oversized or something like that. Like it's really clever of saying we have a, what seems like a lot of tools. We have 20 characters or whatever, and each of them have five different skins and we can also play with their size to approximate this feeling that you're fighting against something else. But the Nintendo catalog is just so large that we're still having to like, do these clever workarounds and i think they mm-hmm. are really clever um i'm trying to on the fly come up with a parallel for tabletop of just like it, you, it does seem like how people bring in all kinds of different stuff acrobatically into dungeons and dragons yeah yeah that's true which is like always a really cool instinct and the execution is always interesting no matter what when someone's like i want to bring a jedi into D that's just something people have been doing forever. Right. Um, and, but you're still abiding by these mechanics that are set in the book. So like, that is exactly what, what I'm describing of what smash does. Here's our tools. You want to emulate this thing that is outside of that tool set with these tools. And then the, thing the difference that, you, that we just like smash. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we don't have to do it. They did it for us. And then when they, <laughs> they already did it, when they reveal it, you're like, huh, that's clever. That's good. This is good, actually. Um, and This is a good podcast. Want to take a break and come back and talk about something else? Yeah. Great. What is the electric one's name? Uh, Jolteon. Electabuzz. Electakid. Uh, Electakid. Hey, didn't they try and do that a couple years ago? Hey. Raikou. Raikou. Can't believe you remembered Entai. Entai. Uh, only because I rec- like when I most recently was playing Short- Sword and Shield... And there's the really bad legendary dungeon crawl thing. Entai uh, was one of the first ones I got. So it's it was a more recent memory than it seems. Is it really that bad? I just think it's tacky. I think, <laughs> it's I think, low class. I think it's not fun because, yeah. one, you're, you've already beat the game to get here. Like, So I have 30 legendaries that I'm not using. They're just in my box because there's nothing left to do in the game. And two, it's like, 
you have a hundred percent catch rate if you get if you get there. So there, there's actually a lot of things I don't like about it. It's a staged yeah. dungeon crawler where you're you're doing like mega raids um, with three random people. You can't use you can't team up with your friends. Whoa! Because Nintendo hates you playing online with your friends. So you play with randos that you can't communicate with. So it's like everyone votes on which path to take while you crawl through this dungeon. And crawling is really just doing four low-level raid fights. And then the last one's a legendary. And if you beat the legendary, you get you do get to catch it, like, guaranteed. So I'm like, what the... And why are they even here? Like, what story reason is there for Suicune to be in Galar? Why is Jirachi just kicking it in England? In a cave, where in all the cave. legendaries chill together. Um, I, what if we fixed this and made it a game? The Pokemon Dungeon Crawl? Yeah, I feel like we could... Legendary Pokemon Dungeon Crawl. I feel like we could fix this. We can try. I mean, here's here's my big... Like, what role do, does a legendary serve in Pokemon? As, except for generally... Something something you get, like, 60% through to help you sweep the Elite Four. The, the meta arc like the yeah there's there's two congruent arcs of pokemon which is become the the best gym leader and capture that region's legendary pokemon and it's usually embroiled in a socio-political conflict with a local paramilitary organization (laughs) and yeah you usually do the latter to complete the former which is not necessarily how the game expects you to play it's not necessarily encouraged even it's just like you as a player know that that's the best way to do it. Um, which is fine. And I think that for as loose of a narrative as most of the Pokemon games have, just giving you two targets and tell you to go is kind of good enough that you're going to go. And once you do those targets, you'll probably stop playing. Right. But then the other thing with legendaries is like, if there's a lot of them, then they're, they don't matter anymore. Or like they're you're devaluing. That's the sword and shield problem. Is in there's the the wolf with the sword and the wolf with the shield. Then there's also Eternatus, which is the digital dragon thing. Um, Digimon, which was fun enough, but it's like cool. I got these, and I can't get the sword dog because I have shield. But then you get the expansion. It's like oh, where we're gonna give you another legendary where we just give it to you and you have to raise it, and it's like okay. But it doesn't really seem very legendary because he's just chilling and I'm not up against any hard targets here. Yeah. And then there's another expansion with with two more new legendaries and access to at at least twenty, probably more classic legendaries that you just like. And that's the other Pokemon problem is if these species are exclusive to regions as animals are why are they all in this one place except for as fan service? But in that same way, if all the legendaries are here, why can't I catch a fucking Ponyta with fire type? Like, <laughs> the, yeah, the things it, they pick and choose are, are, are nasty. It's weird how I, my main goal in Sword and Shield was to catch a Feebas and raise it into a Mil, Miltonic or whatever. Mil, melodic what is it I don't, whatever the the big beautiful sea snake <laughs> um, because that one is like the hardest pokemon to catch in ruby and sapphire which is mine but my favorite 
one. Um, yeah, so I'm thinking like the framework so, of you and a group on, of people. Hold on, did you end oh, up yeah. doing that? Yeah, I did it. Okay, because you can also just catch a wild militic in Sword and Shield. Uh, what the fuck? Which sucks. Like, that's not... That sucks. You have to, like... Good. The thing is that Feebas is, like, ugly, and you gotta make it feel beautiful and comfortable, and then it will evolve. I don't really love the message of this, but it does evolve into a beautiful... Inside each of us is a beautiful snake. It is the... It's the Magikarp and Gyarados, like, theory, but made even more extremely ugly duckling. Yeah, exactly. Of just like this uh, thing seems useless, huh? But guess what? It's not. Um. Wow. I sure do want to play Pokemon. All right. So we we got a framework, which is you and a group of people are rooting around some kind of dungeon or like you know restricted area, choosing legendaries to go find and capture. Maybe yeah, capturing t- here is getting them out of this place and releasing them, like they are held against their will. Um. I think. It's worth mentioning too that Bats just put out the Pokemon Dungeon Crawler game. Oh wow, cool! Like uh, two weeks ago or something. But you play as Pokemon, and this is de- that is what Pokemon dun- There is like a mystery dungeon. Yes, yeah. That that's emulating that style. We're going more for core Pokemon exploration. Like we're we're the trainers. Yeah. Yeah, so like what if each run is like a roguelike, so each run you do into this dungeon, you get a randomized roster of Pokemon, and you build your team with everybody else, and then you go verse these legendaries. Yeah, so that is now how it works. And at every stage, when you beat a lower one, you can trade your current Pokemon for that one. Oh, wow. I anticipated how the game design actually was that's cool but the the problem is it's not fun or i don't think it's fun (laughs) so here's the here's the problem i guess is like just the the reward aspect of it doesn't make logical sense to me because like on paper yeah i would love to have 30 legendaries that's cool i love those friends they're great but getting them doesn't one it doesn't feel like you earned it in the same way that some of the legendary quests in pokemon games are just like arduous and and that's its own thing like arduous can also just make you tap out and never finish the game right like suicune entei and right the fucking the fucking dog <laughs> uh they just show up on random tiles like through the map like there's no way to find them until the end of the game but they do like randomly yeah whatever just like really high probability weird stuff i mean is it just bad is it even savable it's just so plain, especially if you yeah. play any kind of raid. It, it's it's just Nintendo's adversarial relationship with their own content and the people who play them. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Because the same way of like doing mega mega raids in Sword and Shield, you have to play online. You can invite your friends, which is better than some things, but a lot of the time you're just playing with three random people from wherever, and that's not bad but you can't communicate with them and so when some when you're up against this like mega evolved charizard and someone throws out like uh a ferret you're just like what are you you're going to cost the whole thing for everybody this guy's gonna die and i can't leave like i just have to sit this out for 10 minutes while charizard kills you four times 
and we are give an honest try. Like <laughs> that's the part of it that's that's not fun is one the the removal of communication and teamwork, which would be the novel aspect of that. So this is making me think of Bat's Wizard and Wastes, but also of just like a, a a kind of like more of like a mystery serial killer kind of thing of like, Hey, there's a legendary. So here, here's where, here's where we get fun and here's where we can make something fun. Yeah. The legendary quest line isn't fun because you get a legendary Pokemon at the end. It's fun because you solve kind of a mystery or even if that mystery is saying, you know, the legendary is going to be an ice type and it has one other type. What team do you put together to combat it? And you can do like research into it. So this is an sort of an aspect in one, in the last sword and shield expansion of but it's but it's ham-fisted. You're not actually doing it on your own. It's it's guided, railroaded story. But the mm-hmm. idea of doing research to prepare for the battle rather than showing up, doing the the mechanical thing, and then getting the legendary at the end. Like, what if instead it's like, okay, we're four trainers. We've heard about this legendary that roams the hills. It's a, probably a ground type what can we do to increase the odds that when we do find it, because we will, because that's the inevitability of Pokemon, that we will be prepared and be able to capture the thing that we want to capture. It would be interesting to play this game with two decks of cards and the legendary starts with a full deck of cards and you start with nothing and you have to role play these research scenes and win cards to eventually play war against the legendary Pokemon. Yeah, I'm thinking... Uh, of like a 10 candles even too of like yeah or 10 workers united which was the um kickstarter project that came out last year that was um in support of the kickstarter union forming so it's cool it's a reverse of 10 candles where in 10 candles the players start with all the dice and the gm eventually gets more and more to show that inevitability that doom scale um, mm. In 10 Workers United, you're the workers and the corporation has all the dice and you're eventually getting more and more of them. Um, I'm picturing that, like the, the legendary has all of the dice or all of the cards, whatever resource that you're playing with, and you can earn them by doing things. So in that in that Pokemon fashion, it is looking for clues and finding proof that the legendary is real, because that's also... A weird thing about the concept of legendaries is they're all like rumored to maybe not even exist, but then they always right. obviously do. Yeah, they're these like slightly religious things, religious icons too. Yeah, yeah. Um which is interesting. So it's like, yeah, no one in this region has ever seen this thing when with our real eyeballs, but we've heard for thousands of years that it's real. And then just four hours later you found it. <laughs> um <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Wasn't that tough? Uh, it turns out all you had to do was try. I uh, spent an afternoon on this one, and I found my guy Jirachi. So finding clues that prove its existence. So, so finding clues. feet or tracks or or like researching in books, like stories about the legendary. Yeah, I think there's different moves or scenes that you can do. So like in lab research, in the field research. There's training where you're like, oh, we've heard that this legendary is a fire type, so let's go fight other fire types 
to make sure we know what we're doing <laughs> or you know something like that of like yeah, yeah. making sure our, our pokemon are, are strong and we are as trainers are equipped for the coming battle so that all these sort of prep things and with those i think you have role playing moments of of both the characters and their pokemon interacting i'm picturing maybe like a i think it's follow by ben robbins Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, where you're playing a character, but you're also like a sub character of someone else at the table. So, and in that game, I think they're like serfs, and in in ours, they would you would be Pokemon, right? Like, right. I would I would be your Pokemon, and you would be my Pokemon, but we would each also be tra- trainers. Oh, like predation too. That's kind of how that works. Yeah, and then everything is like town gated. So you go visit a new town, and you get like these three randomized opportunities to either like train, research, explore, make friends, fight at a gym, whatever. That's all increasing your like potentiality for the end of the game. And like maybe in a session, every half hour you hit a new town, and then at the end you, you know, go verse the legendary after you've built up your whole deck or whatever. I just had. A brain blast of, I never really, so back in April, I released Forever Dex, which was my, you make yeah. Pokemon by using zip codes and mail in the in the real mail uh, game. That was free, and it went out for a little circulation. I got a couple pages back, but I never did anything with, because I was like, okay, you make the Pokemon, but what do you do with them? You make the creatures, <laughs> air quotes. Um <laughs> But what do you do with them? Now I'm thinking too. So that worked on this pretense of a five-digit zip code like we have in America. Uh, just five numbers. Not really fun, I'd say. Not as fun as other ones, you know. The zip code? Yeah, it could have some letters in there and be six. So <laughs> use, using that idea, though, of saying, like, here are five components that make up our legendary. And so we do five things or maybe we visit five towns and in each town i think because i think pokemon wants you to quest it right like it wants you to be campaigny a little bit yeah Uh, so you go to five towns each town has this list of tasks and you can do however many you can't do them all i think that's part part of it so you know defeat the gym leader meet a valuable ally collect a Pokemon of a certain type, like help someone. Cause there's always people in the town who like need your help. Um, so you have this, Some, someone's trying to get rid of their Mr. Mime. Usually. You have this menu of things you can do in each town. And once you have done the menu, you get like one digit of a five digit number. Oh, that, cool. That then you are building a legendary Pokemon or legendary creature from these smaller encounters and once you've done five you have the five digits necessary to generate the forever dex creature that is your target i'm nodding really hard right now this sounds really fucking good that actually yeah that actually sounds really cool because the i don't have it next to me or anything but forever dex it's like the first digit is what type of creature it is and it's a you know zero through nine is it a rock type is it a ghost type whatever so you're learning these aspects of the creature as you're doing all these other smaller level on the ground Pokemon trainer stuff. That sounds actually really great. 
And then in the process of your research, if you find some like particularly important or you crit your research role, you get to, you personally get to set the number. So you know that like the first two digits are going to be the type matching and like what like error from history that you discovered it from. And maybe you found that it was like from prehistory and it is like, we don't have to play Pokemon rules so we can say it is like nebula type Pokemon or something. Right. And then like you find out what its favorite attack is or you find out what it's, what it's like visual cues. Like, cause if, if it's floating off the ground, that means you can't use, your like ground-based attacks or whatever um, right or if it has wings that supposes it's a flying in addition to whatever type it is right like flying isn't flying is a type in pokemon but it doesn't really have a lot of information behind it beyond the fact right, that exactly. it, it, it can fly so there are all these interesting and valuable informational parameters to define what your legendary is that you're uncovering through play so i like i really like that as an effective GMless way to have this is this is like my thing uh in mystery games and cobwebs of having an end result that everyone contributes to but no one wrote down at the start. Yeah, exactly. It's procedural, but you also get to like watch it uncover. So all of you are actually doing this investigative work together and having a randomized but but valuable result. That sounds and feels really cool when you get there too. Yeah, and it's the like childlike wonder of finding a legendary for the first time. And then, so I think that's main game mode, five towns, and you can design the towns. That was that'd be really easy because in all the Pokemon games, each town is kind of distinct, right? Like you have this one's mushrooms. You have a seaside town. Of course, there's water types. They have a they have like a harbor economy because they have a a port, so that you have shipping and exporting and you also have fishing and like that's just their way of life it's it's yeah. informed by the pokemon that are there which are informed by the ecology um or you have you know like the scary haunted town and it's overrun with ghosts or whatever like with the, those with are the bang fun. soundtrack yeah exactly so you as the game designer and also you as people who then like poke at an existing design can then expands to hell the the list of towns or and maybe you know if you want just like an all spooky ones you you get to do a psychic type a fairy type a ghost type like you can curate your quest line with yeah. with these pre-composed towns or you could randomize it so that's the main thing is you're a group of trainers on this quest to find a legendary but you need to know everything you need to hone your skills i mean that's the whole thing of pokemon too is like you're training right for this big climactic event yeah which is either the big gym battle to get your, all your badges or whatever or the uh, the legendary thing which is our focus now so then we have what is like a late phase other game which is the actual encounter with the legendary right and i'm thinking of it in this framework of like the game is war like the final the final thing is just deck versus deck so you can see how big the legendary's deck is against your team's growing deck and maybe the individual pokemon that you have and we can do like really really like the the show where ash only has like three pokemon like he's not jacked out with a fucking six rack party right um but each Pokemon is a pack of cards that you so, 
that that you Ooh. use and it represents like their hit points or their abilities so you have like as a whole team you have this like these nine pokemon that are each represented by different piles and we got a cat on the table but yeah that kind of war energy i like that i'm also thinking of a lot of games i've been reading le- recently that have like upgrading and downgrading dice sizes cool of of like say like a one to three is always a hit um but using a d20 is less advantageous than using a d12 because the numbers right the statistics and using a d4 is like extremely powerful but you still have a 25 percent chance of not hitting um so i like that kind of growing thing because the other the other thing i'm picturing is if you do use this forever dex model of uncovering information about the legendary at the end you have a five digit number that that quantifies that legendary in mm-hmm. some way um beyond the fact that like you're plugging that those five digits into forever decks and learning its superficial qualities yeah you also have a number so maybe it is like 12,465 hp or oh, that's cool or something like you know if you rolled 5d10 and you have to roll un- under the the legendary's number right it's like only the first power level only the first d10 really matters at that scale but you get into fun number crunchy shit i think especially because pokemon has this like whittling down but don't let it get to zero mechanic right because if if you knock out a legendary you don't get to catch it it's uh you could do something like in dogs in the vineyard where you're trading dice for dice like you know that the legendary will roll these five dice and has these set numbers that it can use during the battle. And so you are putting up dice for each move. So like a flame wheel would be like a seven on this thing. And it has a type and a number. And then you like play the rock, paper, scissors with the types and then just a straight up high number, low number thing. If you want to get really crunchy for the final fight, which I think you should. Yeah. Because it's the thing that you, that you've been working towards the whole time. And you don't want it to be over in an instant. This isn't necessarily like this plays into some of the fun dynamic that Pokemon has of the, you know, the the real gym leader is the friends we made along the way. (laughs) Um, Because you'll have a group of trainers and you'll have your Pokemon with whom you've bonded by this point because you've learned everything about them and you've increased their skills. Um, You don't want to just be like, wow, okay, that was great. And then you narrate, this like single scene where you defeat a legendary together, just throwing a master ball turn one. Right. This is a second, almost like a second game. This is the great ball strat when you don't want to use the master ball. Right. Cause there's some after, after finale legendary that you have to go grind for and you can yeah. only catch it with the master ball. Or... <laughs> yeah. um, um, that's good. Uh, shit. This sounds good. I think there's a lot of ways you can do the legendary battle that are satisfying and work with the mechanics of the town traveling. I especially like the, like understanding that Pokemon is mostly a slice of life thing. Right. The, the, the rest is pretense. The rest is set dressing. Like you care about Ash and Pikachu's relationship from watching the show. You don't care as much about if Ash can beat, jesse because you know he can yeah so 
the the actual day-to-day kind of battle stuff is less consequential than just like Brock, Misty, and Ash having a picnic and like it feels good. And yeah, or just exploring the landscape of like here's our whole country and we get to see all these different ecological like glimpses of it. Here's a swamp, here's a mountain. And that's just like let's go fishing, fuck it. Fun exploration shit. In a, um, in a not necessarily a mundane world, but a world that is enough like ours that you can appreciate the majesty of, of walking up a mountain pass. Yeah, this is like the my favorite kind of world building game where you are experiencing the world as a person living the moments of their life and then just like seeing these things and learning about this world. So you can both play like the personal and the geographical and the historical at the same time. Yeah. I th- and I think in weighted proportions th- to your liking. Yeah, exactly. Because this game also makes it super easy for you to just be like, uh, every town I go to, I'm going to grind and, and fight and find the most powerful one. Or like, I'm going to just collect the gym badge and I'm not going to help anybody. Yeah, or like, I'm going to do all the weird events in this town. Like, I'm not going to look at the research or go to the gym. I'm going to go to like the Pokemon Tower and go see some ghosts and fuck around with uh, some plants like yeah and in that way i think you have informed by this legendary pretense a sort of like mini game structure to each aspect of play that informs the like maxi game that is the finale so like using using the card decks in war like doing X action gets you one card doing Y action gets you two cards in your deck or lets you swap out a card from your deck for a new one. Like, yeah, going to a city allows you to add a third deck in play or something like that, that you can get cards from. So that way, and I like that too. And this makes me think too of three day weekend, which uses go fish as its mechanic, but the first day is basically like every kid gets to do whatever the hell they want and those are firebrands style mini games that they all have effectively the same system that is like if you do this you get a card and mm-hmm. if you do that you have to give someone else a card which are just encouraging like be a kid and do kid things and be cool to your friends and then on day three you will see the rewards of that mechanically reflected your friends will will fare better because you were nice to them on the fun day on fun day <laughs> that works here too like yeah but uh, i think that's really great i think having each town be five mini games that all have the same mechanical output besides like they all have extremely different narrative output between getting a gym badge going to see a ghost whatever um mm-hmm. those those narratively are very different and they, they focus who, on who you are as a character and a trainer and what kind of Pokemon you like and what, what ones you want. Um, but if they all are like, if you succeed, you get two cards and if you fail, you get one card or whatever. Like that's all good. It doesn't, the game doesn't tell you, you have to be a certain kind of trainer. Right. It's just playing. Like there are five things to do, but you can do whichever you want. And by the end, you'll, I like having the like slight lose condition, like if you don't get enough cards or something at the end of the legendary, um, or you know things like that. 
Yeah, because there's two sort of rare... They're rare because players don't let them happen, but a legendary encounter generally ends with you catching the legendary. Right. The, the other things that can happen is it wipes your team and you have to wake up at the Poké Center and you're like, fuck, I, I lost it. Or... And I think you, you reset, can go try like, again at that point. Yeah. Yeah, you go back to your save file. The The other one is you n- knock it to zero HP and it's unconscious and you don't get to catch it, which again, you go back to your save file, you try again. But um, I mean, even game, we're, we're running low on time, but even gamifying that save and quit like right before the fight, you you should just be able to do that in this game and it changes one element of the world. Like one thing you've established in play, like one of the towns just kind of gets like one shade worse, worser, like the beach becomes like a toxic landfill or something like that, or just like showing how the legendary has affected the world or something like that. This That's a whole topic for a whole show because you should be yeah. able to do that in every game. Just that little piece of tech. You know what folks Go revert to save it. file. Yeah. Go. And I actually shan- just read a game this week called forking. It was in a zine called forking paths. Um, that was basically like the Minotaur's Labyrinth and, and the, you use card suits to generate this maze. But cool. once you reach an end, the protagonist can go back to the last fork and then pick a different path. And you use tokens basically t- like a breadcrumb trail to go back to be like, I want to go back to here and make a different choice because I saw where that path leads me. Mm-hmm. And you're and with the theme there, you're working with fate, and it's a very like folk hero. It's it sort of exists outside of the here the protagonist's reality. Like you're reading and making the story, so you're just telling a different iteration of that story when you go to different paths. But like you said, any game. If I'm playing any game and we get wiped out, or even just like my character dies, and I'm like. I don't want to be done with this character. Let's rewind to the start of this boss battle and something has changed. Oh, like every character as a part of character creation puts up some collateral that they can will sacrifice as a part of the world if they want to reset. So like you make your character and you make your little hometown and you're like, okay, well I'm going to make Hamlet shitty if I die. So that's my collateral. Like, yeah, having or those. I I think I I like setting it up at the start. This makes me also. I I did that zine. Uh, deals with demons. That was like sealed mm-hmm. cards. Yeah. When you die in, in a fantasy game, you open a an envelope and a demon gives you an offering, and it'll be like, oh, I'll return you to the mortal realm, but uh, you like have bugs that live in your ears forever, right? And if you eat a bug, you get an HP back, but. Uh, you have to eat a bug. Um, <laughs> that shit's great, but also the idea of setting it up at the start of play and then somehow removing it from your mind, whether they are in an envelope or they're on a sheet that you don't have access. Like everyone writes it down and gives that sheet to the GM or something. Because um, then you're, I mean, you'll probably still remember it, but just the fact that you're not looking at it all the time and being reminded of it. Then when it happens, it hits really hard, I think. Right, like you go meet a ghost in the ghost town and you every new town you go, you have to make a new memory that you can put up at the end as a save 
uh, penalty or whatever. And so like, oh, this ghost named Chauncey, um, I wanted to t- chill with when this was all done. And that just means when, it pu- when you pull that slip out, you can now never see Chauncey again. If this is a war card style game too, you can write those things on the cards <gasps> and like have them be. That's the well, I mean, that's the game right there. Have that's those it. be branching moments Here of like are. I'm in a legendary scene and I can. I, I just flipped this card that lets me do a really good attack on the legendary, but Chauncey is gonna like fade away, or I can let the legendary hit me this round and then Chauncey is like safe. Yeah. Like you're playing with this sort of and it makes reality. It a cataclysmic battle. Like, because you're, you're fighting with the fabrics of memory. Yeah. Hey, I mean, uh, time of death brain trust episode. Great game <laughs> is uh, one hour, one minute and 59 seconds. Yeah, of we recording. Find, we, we fixed the Pokemon tabletop thing. I mean, like, this a lot would of be like tried. A Here's another great little one. zine. Yeah, just a little zine game where war is the the thing. I might be like poisoned from working one game for so long, but I I'd like to write this, make a little fun little Pokemon game. I mean, all we have to do is design five towns and one legendary, and then tell other people design more towns and more legendaries. Yeah, and then make the framework, and then you have like collect this fucking database of. Stuff. Oh, because what if like what if one legendary plays war but one legendary is playing blackjack Ooh. like legendaries can have different mechanics associated with them that doesn't change the town structure yeah and it's just you go through the card games you play and... in a different way like you as a trainer have to learn a different mode because you don't you don't attack a jirachi the same way you attack a hoo <sighs> that i mean that's the types then you know that blackjack type and type then you have is a war card type game. yeah Type is the type of card game. So, you know, the Texas Hold'em dragon are, is different than the fucking legendary fish that plays Go Fish. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Even Ta- new, upgraded. New, new time of death. <laughs> new, new game plus 10324. Hey, they say your first great idea is the hardest. Um, yeah, now we're speedrunning great ideas. Yeah. And uh, next, the HP is actually the cards, and you rip up the cards if you're playing Nuzlocke Challenge. <laughs> That's good, too. Hey, damn. Okay. Challenge <laughs> Let's, go. Let's go. Uh, oh, trading. I mean, you can trade Pokemon with other people and trade packs of cards. Yeah, stuff. I think there's there's an aspect to like uh, having a hand sometimes instead of just random pulls. I guess it depends on the game, but I, I, I think mean, just the framework of like building a deck is like what you're doing during play, and then you're playing with that final deck at the end. Well, the deck is your decks, right? And <gasps> then your hand is your party. Pokey decks, D E C K S. Your hand is your party, but then, but to some extent too, then the numbers are like that Pokemon's moves or something. Like they serve multiple functions. Yeah. We can't stop with the good ideas, but damn. I mean, we, we just, can call it. We <laughs> we 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 just sank a few buckets. Or he you know, it's better to quit while you're ahead, you know? Yeah. Before we yeah, say something like <laughs> Yeah, we we're, <laughs> we're definitely at the frantic point of just like 
what if this and what if this is going to go uh, i don't know i don't know about that. and that <laughs> we would just feel great. too bad yeah so, we're gonna kill the streak yeah all right so uh thanks for listening uh go ahead and rate and review the podcast online on your favorite thing um we might open up we're gonna open up ad trades um with folks so if you have a thing like i don't know a podcast or like a magazine or something and you want to be featured on the brain trust as an ad trade we would love to put our thing in your place wherever that is yeah i think reach out to us on twitter probably uh to do that yeah well we don't i don't check the email do you check the email what email so do not email us (laughs) do do not I don't dare you to email us. Um, yeah, uh, the Babes in the Wood second edition Kickstarter is live right now. Be like Gail Simone and retweet Adam, um, <laughs> and check if you haven't backed already. I don't. I don't know what you're doing. And you got like ten days or something left. There's like a week left, so get get off your butt or on your butt. On your U-shaped pillow of comfort and log on. Get onto your U-fractal zone and <laughs> just really enjoy it. Get on the Metacube Metasphere. Um, yeah, where can people find you online? I'm on Twitter at WCGameCo, and my website is worldchamp.io. That's it this time. What about you? <laughs> I'm Will. I'm, I'm live at will.com every night. Um I do a live stream. Uh, I'll, I'll be out here just tweeting shit until my Kickstarter on February 1st, which you should definitely check out. I got a mailing list. You can find me at will underscore J-O-B-S-T. Um, you can find our Pokemon game at some point because, wow, I am hyped on it. <laughs> it's one of, yeah, just one of those great brain trust moments that if we're smart, we'll have this the game out by the time you're hearing this um but we're both also just swimming in immense game pools we're really busy of work we're we're really busy with really interesting stuff that we can't wait to tell you about big game brains big games big big game brains working together and that's the brain trust a handshake emoji thank you everybody (laughs) 